Hi, and welcome to this BJSM podcast, which is going to be different to our usual podcasts. If you're looking for some erudite, clinical, evidence-based medicine, some very strategic tips on how to treat a particular patient, then I recommend you turn this podcast off and go to one of the other ones. Because we're going to have a social chat about the Super Bowl. We're going to be more like we're in a bar and we're talking to the doctor who was the doctor for the team who won the Super Bowl, because that's exactly who we've got on the line. I'm with John Dresner. He's well known as a sports cardiologist, as a leader at the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. He was the keynote opening address speaker at the World International Congress in Monaco in 2011. But today, he's just the winner of the Super Bowl. How does it feel, John? Oh, it feels fantastic. Thanks for having me, Karen. It was it was an exhilarating experience, uh, especially the last few weeks through the playoffs and then uh, culminating in just an incredible game um, out in uh, New York and New Jersey. And uh, what an experience. So we'll go through this pretty briefly because you've got to get back to celebrations and maybe you've got to get back to real life and taking care of your family. But um, was there a point in the season where you thought started thinking about Super Bowl possibilities because Seattle hadn't been rated at the start of the season. Right, right. Well, I mean, we, we ended the season before uh, on a pretty good note, and I think we entered the season with a lot of hype and a lot of um, expectations. And I, I think for me personally, it was pretty early in the season when we won a few games on the road where we didn't play great. Um, somehow the team came from behind. They overcame some adversity. They weren't having the best game, and they still came out on top where you realize that this team really had some resilience to them. And and then later, you know, our, our home crowd is just incredible. Our stadium really is a home field advantage, and players get real up for the games. And we had a couple big wins against San Francisco and against New Orleans, against some great teams at home, and then you realize just what this team can do. And so, I, you know, for me personally, um, pretty early in the season, you know, the excitement was starting to build about what the possibilities were. And so the off-field team, just tell us a little bit about your group of clinicians. Uh, good morale in the group. It's, it often works well when you're winning. Yeah, it does work well when you're winning. And, and I have to say we've had seasons when we weren't winning and it still worked well. I, I feel really lucky in, in Seattle working with um, the, the medical professionals that I do, both physicians as well as athletic trainers, um, our chiropractic team, etc. We have an amazing group that help take care of the Seattle Seahawks. Um, the camaraderie is great. I think as a primary care sports medicine physician, how you partner and sort of um, enter those uh, clinical relationships with the patients, how you partner with your orthopedic staff is always sort of a question mark. And I, I feel extremely fortunate that the, the two orthopedic surgeons that I work with um, we really, we really work as a team. We work very well together. They understand some of the added value of the of of, of my perspective and things that primary care sports medicine physicians can add, be a musculoskeletal ultrasound or just a different perspective um, from the medical standpoint of what medications we're giving. And um, we really do approach you know, each patient as a team. And uh, I feel real lucky that I'm in a, a supportive system like that. I, I can't say enough about how good our athletic training staff is. Um, they, they not only um, take care of particular injuries, they're, they're, actually, they're real experts at rehabilitation, getting our players back on the field, um, being 100% or even better than they were before their injuries. Um, and this group has uh, a pretty amazing focus on prevention and just general health. So they do a lot of things 
as a uh, as a team where they've really created a culture of um, health and performance within the club, focusing on you know proper sleep habits, focusing on hydration, um, working up medical issues that may affect performance. And in uh, American football, something like obstructive sleep apnea in our in our bigger players and our linemen. And so I just think that our uh, our athletic training staff and the whole medical staff has really tuned into sort of general wellness with the players, getting getting them enough rest, and, and uh, hopefully that that uh, allows them to be the best they can be on the field. And maybe just take us through the typical week, beginning from after a game, then you've got the game week. What's the pattern of your commitment um, with the team at the venues for a week? So you know during the during the season, um, I go out to the team training facility uh, twice a week to to hold a, a clinic. Um, one of those clinics is the day after our game, so it's usually a Monday morning for us. Uh, called the Injury Clinic, where we see pretty much all of the, the, the players that need to get seen. Uh, that's a little bit of a longer clinic. And then I'll come back later in the week uh, for some follow-up visits and, and more of a medical uh, clinic, usually on a Friday, a couple days before the game, and, and see players that are sick or have some, some ailments where we can uh, try to tune them up before before the game. Um, and then, of course, uh, for home weekends, it's, a, it's about an eight-hour commitment on game day, arriving to the stadium about three hours before, um, and then the game and, and hanging around a little bit afterwards. For our travel weekends when we play on the road, um, typically we will leave um, two days prior, um, have two nights um, in the city that we're playing in, and then um, return uh, about uh, you know immediately after the game, arriving home pretty late. Let's jump into Super Bowl week. How was that one? Uh, it, it was incredible. It was pretty much everything was different about Super Bowl week. It was certainly something that I had never experienced. And I think as uh, team physicians, it, it, it really is a privilege to, to sort of be along for the ride. I mean, I, I think what we do is uh, a real honor to care for some of our elite athletes. And what we've seen in the city of Seattle and, and with American football, it, it, you know, a lot of people are interested in it. It really creates a sense of community, um, at least in, in our city. Um, it's something that, that, that people sort of buy into and look forward to, Creates a, does a lot of good, and, and our players have done a wonderful job reaching out to the community. So there's a real connection between the players and our community, and, and to sort of see that from the inside and be a part of it uh, was an amazing experience for me. I, I personally, I, I traveled with the team out to uh, New Jersey for their Super Bowl week. Uh, we left about uh, one week before the game, and uh, which really allowed the, the players uh, plenty of time to adapt to the, the three-hour time change. Um, they had a wonderful practice week, probably the best practice week of, of the year. Coaches did an incredible job in their preparations. Um, personally, my family got to join me um, uh, about three days before the game. They came out on a Thursday. Um, the club was uh, incredibly uh, welcoming to the families and helping with the, the travel arrangements. Um, some of the events that they, they put on before and after the Super Bowl that, that can include all the families and for me, my, my wife and three kids. And, you know, to share that with your family, to be in a moment like that where you have a, a chance to win a world championship and, and you're successful and to share that with your family just makes it even more special. And there was some threat about the weather. Were you we worried about hypothermia at all? We were early in the week. Uh, early in the week, it was really quite cold in, in New York, it, you know, with lows in the single digits and the wind chill even lower and, and how that would affect, um, you know, players on the field and, and, um, and us on the sideline who aren't exercising was definitely one of our concerns. And, um, 
but then, you know, but, but then it warmed up considerably and, and the temperatures of the game were really quite mild. They were, um, you know, 30 and 40 degrees uh, Fahrenheit and, and really quite mild. And would you say Seattle were underdogs going in? Because my buddy Harold at Aspatar was saying that uh, they'd be lucky to be in it at quarter time and uh, he's American and he was very confident that uh, Denver were going to be quite um, on top. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of people picked Seattle as the underdog. You know, the the point spread, so to speak, was I think uh, in the favor of, of Denver by a few points. And um, you know, they're they're a great team. They have a, a world class quarterback and and have the, the perhaps one of the best offensive years ever for a team in the NFL. Um, but you know, our our team really just focused on what they need to do and and got very prepared. We have an, an outstanding defense that that had a great game and. Our special teams, our offense, they also had great games. And so um, I felt I felt pretty good going into the game. And then, um, you know, with the opening snap, um, mishap for for Denver, and everything just sort of seemed to fall our way, our, our, our team just played terrific. And then, John, actual day itself, were you nervous? Did you wake up early? What happened? Just give us an, a sort of a head cam from the team doctor on the day of the game. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I woke up a little nervous for sure. I was, I was, it was nervous energy and a lot of excitement. Um, it was an evening games. So a lot of our games during the year are, are sort of midday games, so we had plenty of time to think about it, so to speak. Um, and uh, our buses left for the stadium uh, nearly four hours uh, before the event. Um, we had a, a, a usual sort of police escort. On this particular day, we actually had a, a military a helicopter escort as well, and um, just to show how sort of big the event had become, um, you know, within the U.S. and and what the expectations were um, for how many people were going to come to the event, and watch the event, etc. Um, you know, once we were in the locker room, then it, it was just sort of you know back to what we normally do and and uh, helping some of the players get get ready for the game, and and we have a few hours in the in the locker room, and. Uh, at that moment, it sort of felt like, okay, well, this is just another game. It's a real big game, and this is another game. A little, more, you know, a little additional excitement, a little extra to do. Um, and then uh, the way the NFL hypes and preps the stadium and the fans and everything that's happening, the number of media reporters on the sideline and just the, the, the lights and cameras, so to speak, um, it is a whole other level. It, it, it's almost hard to explain. Um, but but it just raises that excitement even more. So there's so much energy on the sideline uh, before kickoff, and and uh, I, th- I I I think it must get everyone up, both sides, both all the players on both teams, all the fans. Everyone's just so excited before kickoff. And when the game gets going, then we then we got hopefully a, a good football game. And just before you, the very start of the game, is it in the rooms? Do they have more VIPs, and is it distracting, or can they actually get the last bit to be like a normal game? Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think it's a normal game once it gets started. I mean, the you know the, the NFL games, there's there's loud music whenever the the play has stopped. There's there's fans cheering everywhere, and the stadiums are always really loud. You know, once kickoff begins, once the once action begins, and I think there I think things just get back to um, the way an NFL football game is, which is um, sometimes crazy and, and usually really loud, really exciting, etc. You know, our medical staff, you know, we're on the sideline, um, you know, intermixed with the players, obviously, for, you know, to assess uh, acute injuries and, and whatever we need to do. Um, and, uh, you know, the field in many places is the loudest place to be in the stadium. And it, it's just, uh, it's quite the experience. And we don't want you to give away any secrets, obviously, so you don't have to give specifics. But in a NFL game, generally speaking, 
um, just a quick sort of high level, would doctors do injections before the game and uh, uh, sort of other procedures potentially during game? What are some things that might happen in a game and we're definitely not talking about the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just in general, I mean, I, I think uh, we have some players who feel um, somewhat dehydrated, let's say recent illness or um, uh, dry uh, dry weather or didn't hydrate orally uh, well in the days prior. Um, some players receive, you know, pregame um, IV hydration, which, which isn't necessarily for hyperhydration, but more just to sort of make sure that they are properly hydrated. We have a couple very salty sweaters and, and uh, people with uh, proven uh, muscle cramps in the past that, that have uh, done better um, with IV hydration. Um, and so I, I think our team is really good about not overdoing it and really trying to choose medical indications where we think it's proper. Um, but that's that's one one potential thing that will happen uh, before the games. And I think that um, not so much in the, um, the, you know, late in the year when it's really cold, but certainly early in the year when it's hot, you know, running around on a hot football field with sort of black rubber turf underneath the green that makes the field so hot and wearing a helmet and the clothes they wear and the pads, I mean, there really is sort of heat risk and our players get, um, you know, the, when the body temperatures go up and stuff like that, I think uh, just raises uh, the potential for dehydration and other issues. Um, you know, players who have uh, uh, potential orthopedic um, joint ailments that, that um, at that level, I mean, very, very, you know, in a professional level, elite level, um, occasionally receiving, you know, anesthetics, um, injections around the joint to sort of get them, get them through the game. Let's use an example like, uh, an AC joint injury or perhaps, uh, uh, first, uh, metatarsal phalangeal joint arthritis or something like that. We're just trying to get the player, um, you know, through the game, which is very meaningful for them as their livelihood, et cetera. Um, so stuff like that can happen. Uh, occasionally, from a, from a medical standpoint, you'll, you'll evaluate players who, who are ill. You know, suddenly they're, they're getting their migraine, um, they have a headache, uh, they're having uh, vomiting, diarrhea um, before the game, and, um, beyond sort of just the, the, the pregame jitters. Um, and that's some of our some of our function in the um, in the locker room is, is to be available and address those needs when they come up. And I guess over a season there'll be some concussion decisions. Yeah, I mean, throughout the whole season, there's for sure uh, concussion evaluations and, and decisions and stuff like that. I think obviously this has been a uh, under the microscope within the NFL for for several years and uh, several NFL policies that um, highlight um, the the importance of of concussion and stuff like that for the players and, and how we evaluate it. Um, I think for the for the Seattle Seahawks, we have a, a pretty uh, um, experienced um, sports medicine staff that, that looks at uh, concussion very closely. One of my close colleagues, uh, you know, Dr. Stan Hearing, um, one of the world's experts in concussions, and um, my other medical colleague, uh, Dr. Ashwin Rao. Um, I think we all have some good experience looking at concussion, and you know, and it's a challenging thing on the sideline. The, um, the, the culture for concussion for the players has, has started to shift a little bit. I still think that underreporting is a, is a big issue. Um, but once they have symptoms, obviously what happens next in terms of no, you know, no symptomatic player returns to play. Um, and that culture has really shifted where the players understand that. They understand what's going to happen next. There's a rule in the NFL called the Madden rule that once you diagnose a player with concussion, they, they actually have to go to the locker room and, and stay in the locker room the, the remainder of the game. Um, and 
there's um, the opportunity for video replay on the sideline that we can look at to look at mechanism, etc. And um, you know, concussion remains a, a, a clinical diagnosis where you really have to know your player well um, to understand if they, they seem different, look different, because um, they may not always report all the symptoms they have. And, and even our sideline testing using you know, the SCAT and other things. Um, these players are, are smart, and sometimes they can they can test really normal, but you still just have that feeling that, that something's wrong. Thanks, John. It's great to get that insight and, and level of detail. So then we won't spend the analysis of the game because we're here about the medical side, but you, your team got off to a great start, and did you feel anxious at any stage? Did you keep wanting them to blow the final siren however it goes in American football, or were you pretty comfortable? Uh, you know, I think I was sort of anxious most of the game. Um, obviously, we got off to a great start, and our, 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 everything seemed to go our way, really, from the open snap. Um, and you're playing against a, a Hall of Fame quarterback with Peyton Manning. And it was, um, even when we were up 30 points or more, I still felt a little nervous that, that somehow they could come back. And uh, I'm not sure that our players felt that nervous because they were pretty confident at that point. But you've just seen those comebacks before from, from, from great teams. Um, where they can put a few touchdowns in one quarter, you know, et cetera. But um, once we were well into the fourth quarter, it just looked like the game was out of reach, and, and then the celebrations you know, started, you know, started on the sideline, and it was just a bunch of fun. Thanks, John. And speaking of comebacks, while we're on a bit of a U.S. theme, obviously the U.S. came back from 8-1 down in the America's Cup, but our New Zealand colleagues don't want to be reminded of that. So we will move on to the last couple of points. So general tips, um, you've had a lot of experience in working with teams at college and now in the pros and different sports. So, um, you know, maybe four or five tips for the sports physician, sports physio, athletic trainer who's listening and they want to work with teams and it's great to hear from someone like you. Sure. I mean, um, I mean, I think our role is, you know, as a sports physician, our, our role as a team physician is really sort of the, the coveted position, whether or not that's, you know, youth sports, you know, high school sports, college or, or at a professional level. It's really where our, um, to me, our primary care skill set is most valuable. And, you know, there's a real movement within, um, sports medicine for many physicians to become sort of non-operative musculoskeletal specialists. And that's a wonderful field. I think they do a great job. But, but when you talk about being a team physician, you have to hold on to your primary care skills. It's so important to fulfill that part of your responsibilities. Um, with the team, because often you're pairing with orthopedic staffs and other other disciplines, and you really have to make sure you, you, you're comprehensive in, in what you provide for the players. And so, and for our, for our young people out there who have aspirations for, you know, being team physicians at different levels, um, you know, really stay stay true to your primary discipline. You know, if you're a family medicine physician, pediatrics, internal medicine, you really have to keep your skills, especially your ambulatory skills, um, and build your sports medicine skills, of course. And that just makes you more valuable as a team physician. Um, you know, I certainly didn't walk into a, a role at the professional level. I really never thought I, I, I would do it. Um, it comes with some sacrifice. It, it requires a lot more time and a lot more travel, and that pulls you away from your family, and it really is something to consider. Um, you have to have, of course, um, good support at home, which I'm very fortunate, you know, I, I do. And, 
And I think uh, um, in the long run, you know, those, those um, relationships you build with players as a team physician become some of the most you know, meaningful ones you have in your practice. And John, we've talked a lot over the years about the importance of mentorship and people who've helped us with our careers. I'm sure there are people who were critical for you and now you're playing that role for others, but who was it for you? Well, I, I had many people along the way that, uh, that helped with different aspects of my career. I, I think from, a, from my clinical training and, and modeling what team physicians are, I mean, I was uh, extremely fortunate when I trained at the University of Washington to, to work you know, under Kim Harmon and, and John O'Kane, two uh, team physicians at the University of Washington who are just extraordinary physicians and, and learn from them, and, and now they're my colleagues. And so we're, we're, we're close friends and we're close colleagues. Um, but having that, having that modeling, you know, early um, to watch them, um, also within my own university, Stan Herring and, and his experience, you know, over 30 years at, at a very elite level, um, working within the NFL, um, understanding some of the nuances of, of handling a position um, uh, within professional sports. I've been very fortunate with the, the mentorship I've received. And that leads us nicely into the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine because as an umbrella organization, it's a way for budding sports physicians to get exposed to experienced top primary care doctors. And it starts on April the 5th in 2014. It's in New Orleans. Why would it be a good idea for different people to go? I love our annual meeting. I think our, our annual meeting is really um, one of the premier um, sports medicine uh, conferences and scientific conferences that, that we can go to. Um, we bring in uh, top-notch, um, internationally renowned uh, speakers from many countries, as, you know, of course, including the, the U.S., cover our hot topics and, and of course, uh, you know, um, current updates and new things that are happening. We've got a, a very good scientific program and, and research that is just uh, moving forward um, every year within AMS assignment. So, but, but I think the thing that makes AMS assignment conference so unique is really the collegiality at the conference. And, and we just talked a little bit about mentorship, but the, the individuals you meet at the meeting, it, it's still the, the, the society encourages sort of the mixing of um, older and, and more experienced uh, physicians and colleagues with our younger and, and up-and-coming you know, junior colleagues and even our residents and our fellows so they get a chance to, to interact with individuals and build those relationships that, that may one day turn into other opportunities or mentorship and you know, at the meeting we have special sessions that, that, that really address um, your role as a physician at different levels whether it's you know high school or college sports professional sports etc and I think there's plenty of opportunities to, to, to meet uh, current and past leadership within AMFSM, several opportunities to get involved. And um, I just think it's a, uh, it's a fabulous scientific program, but probably more importantly, the, the collegiality is uh, very unique. And a very strong focus on the fellows to meet people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a, a strong fellowship program in the U.S. and, and encourage them, of course, to, to be involved with AMSSM and, and to present at the meeting if they can, either research or, or uh, case presentations or other. But um, and, and our committee structure allows a lot of people to get involved. But um, yeah, we 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 um, uh, of course want our fellows to come to the conference. But you know, I have to say that a lot of our conference is not um, oriented directly towards fellows. We, we shoot a little bit higher. We we want to. Uh, I want to. I personally, I want to go to that conference, and I, I want to be pushed. I want. I want to hear the best, and I. Um, uh, I want to learn. I want the conference to be appropriate for experienced team physicians as well as young learners, so everyone gets some some common messaging on on what's going on in new in sports medicine. And obviously, folks can find the program on the AMSSM website, and we'll run a blog about that and um, 
we're alerting people that on Twitter. So that's April 5 to 9, 2014 in New Orleans. John, the AMSSM did a great job on the BJSM special issue. It focuses on the care of the female athlete and listeners can find that along with the other special issues of BJSM. I'm going to leave it there so you can get back to your week. It's five days after the Super Bowl, so thanks for fitting us in so early. Congratulations on what you've done, and uh, and thanks for contributing to this BJSM podcast, John. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. You've been listening to John Dresner, who's well-known as a sports cardiologist. He has played a terrific leadership role in the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine, and he was the primary author on the sports cardiology BMJ Learning, which is free to everyone because of sponsorship from groups such as the AMSSM and FIFA. Thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast. Follow us on Twitter at BJSM underscore BMJ. Thanks for listening.